Hello everybody, welcome back to the Gamer Life Podcast. I'm your host Johnny and today we have a plethora of topics we're getting to and in an exercise of trying something new, we're gonna kick it off with our sort of mindset segment where I'm talking about how to add a new habit, at least my system for it. A lot of you guys have, you know, asked questions about some of the things that I discuss in terms of uh, new habits or, or getting something new in your routine. And today I'm going to go through it in, in an example and, you know, start to finish how I go about doing this. So that hopefully helps a bit more. And we also are covering my impressions of Biomutant and a bit of a review for Subnautica Below Zero. And I will be going into spoilers in the final section so people can avoid that if you don't want spoilers but for people who have played you'll get my full thoughts and sort of in-depth analysis of where I think it fails a little bit compared to the first game and uh, what it does get right. I'm also talking a little bit about Castlevania which I have been watching on Netflix and the Unreal 5 demo. So with that, let's go! Alright, so how do you go about adding a new habit? This is my system, guys. So, you know, it may not be perfect, of course, for everybody. I'm just sharing what has worked for me. And as I'm actually trying to add a new habit to my own routine, which is going out for a walk on a regular basis, uh, in my case, a very short walk. But again, we'll try to keep it generic and something that can work for as many people hopefully as possible. So we're gonna, let's use an example. A lot of people want to integrate some kind of workout in their routine. So let's imagine or suppose for the purposes of this that you want to add the habit of working out to your daily routine or to your day-to-day in some way. Let's take that as our example and then I'll take you through all the steps that I do for my sort of system and how it's worked for me. So the first step here is to actually decide that you want to do that thing. In this case, again, let's imagine it's working out, right? Let's imagine that you really want to do it. And it may seem trivial or silly as a first step, but you actually have to decide that you want to do it in a way that you will allow resources for it, you will allow time, you will put other things to the side if needed. So it's actually a big step. This is not, it would be nice to work out. This is, I have decided that this will be a part of my life, right? So it's kind of a big step. Now, once you do this, the next part is a bit more on the logistics side. So we need to define a trigger for this behavior, right? Because for me personally, I can't rely on motivation to do things because a lot of times motivation is fleeting. I think a lot of people will sympathize with this. Anything that relies on motivation will on average not get done. That, that's had, you know, that has been my experience. And so for my system, it's very important that we don't rely on motivation. And so that's why we have the idea of a trigger. 
Now, a trigger is something in your day that causes you to engage in this new behavior, in this new activity or habit, right? So we need to identify something in your day to day. Let's assume you want to work out daily. This could also work if you want to work out, you know, every other day or every three days. It really doesn't matter. But we're going to find one thing in your day to day that invariably happens and we're going to latch onto that, right? So that's going to be our trigger. I'm going to give you some examples here, but this is something you need to figure out yourself because we all have different day-to-day uh, -day activities and what works as a trigger for me may not work for you. For example, some people respond very well to physical triggers or physical things that they do, while other people respond better to psychological triggers. So it could be um, a, a state of mind or a way you feel could also be a trigger. So I'm going to give examples that have worked for me in the past. So if you want to work out in the morning, let's say one thing that worked for me has been to have my my workout shorts that I happen to use for workouts next to my bed in a way that when I get out of bed and the only thing you know that's in view to put on is my work shorts anything else I would have to go to my wardrobe or you know go a, a longer distance let's say to actually get a different article of clothing clothing as silly as that sounds you know, the path of least resistance to me is to actually put on the workout shorts, right? And once I do that, that's the trigger, right? I already have the workout shorts on, might as well do a short workout. That's kind of how it works for me. Again, it may not work for everybody. So we, we would maybe need to find different triggers for different people. So maybe for you, it's brushing your teeth. Maybe after brushing your teeth, you know, you're already up, you have a bit of momentum, Maybe you can plug there that new habit of doing a short workout. Or for some people, it may be when you put your shoes on, right? So, hey, you, you, you put your shoes on, you, you went and did something outside, might as well do five minutes or 10 minutes of uh, whatever it is for you, right? Um, now, once we have this step done and you have something that works as a trigger for you, we need to define what is the smallest unit of uh, a workout that still counts as a workout for you. So let's imagine for the purposes of this conversation that something like a 10 minute session where you're doing some form of exercise, it could be pull-ups, uh, push-ups, whatever it is for you. Let's define our minimum unit of workout for the purposes of the example as a 10 minute section, right? So our goal is not going to be just, you know, work out because that's too generic, right? Or work out more. Those are vague goals. Those don't work. That's the direction we want to head towards, of course. But our goal has to be something measurable on a daily basis. Or again, it could be every two days or every three days. Let's just keep it daily to keep it simple here. So we're going to assume that our goal is to, on a daily basis, do a 10-minute workout, right? That's a small thing. If you, so again, we're trying to define the smallest unit that still counts as a workout. And on a daily basis, we're going to check and we're going to say, did we 
do that unit of you know success and if we did guess what our credibility goes up right because we we did our daily goal if we didn't then we need to face the fact that we didn't and that's going to hurt because what we're going to do as our next step is link our identity to this new habit and this can be this is very high stakes this is a bit dangerous because if you fail to do that thing you're going to feel shitty right because you're now linking your identity to it so let me give you an example in the same way as most people feel bad if they don't wash their teeth because they're the kind of person who washes their teeth every day right you're going to feel shitty if you don't well that's the level of commitment here guys right that's the level so this will set up our feedback loop in a way that every day that we do the habit we're casting a vote towards being the kind of person who works out every day for 10 minutes right and over time the idea is that we're more often than not achieving this because we have set the unit of success to be very small so again whatever that is for you if it's five minutes or ten minutes you're achieving that with quite a bit of regularity and your credibility is going up so it will take some time it won't happen after just a week but after a month two months three months several months of continually achieving this unit of success your credibility is going to start to go up and you're going to start to feel more and more like the kind of person who works out every day and the also crucial part in this guys is that we set our unit to be very small on purpose what this is going to do is get you in motion right every day if you're just going to do five minutes very often you're gonna feel like well might as well do another five minutes i'm already here right i'm already doing this kind of workout you know what let's do another set and naturally with time you're gonna expand even though the minimum requirement for our system is five ten minutes you're naturally gonna want to push that with time and so i find that you just need that wedge in your routine where you're wedging in this slot to perform the new habit and then you don't need to worry about doing it for a very long time because naturally you're going to expand how much you do it. So that's how I've been able to integrate some new habits. And I'm actually doing this right now for a new habit, like I said, trying to go for a short walk on a regular basis. And I'm going to be using this very system, putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak. So take this with a grain of salt and tweak it to your own body your own system and i hope it helps you out in adding a new healthy habit to your daily routine all right let's get back to games and i want to talk about biomutant i have something like 20 hours in it at this point i've been playing two different characters one is a purely ranged dead eye class character and on stream we've been doing a dual size dual melee build with the saboteur class so i have quite a bit to kind of talk about here and this game has been the perfect clickbait opportunity for a lot of youtubers to just shit on the game and honestly i don't i don't feel great about seeing that basically the 
devs have exposed themselves or the publisher, whatever it is, have exposed themselves to a lot of criticism because they marketed the game at, let's say, full price. So the main thrust of the criticism has been taking the biggest games out there and comparing them against Biomutant, which to be honest is fair, right? It is fair to make that comparison. Where I come at it from is for PC, it's quite easy to pick up the game at a significantly discounted price, right? On several websites. Personally, I, I paid 30 pounds for the game. So I, I would not ever call that full price. Uh, you know, it, it does feel like a good price point for the game. I do feel if you paid 60 pounds for this, I would also not be happy. I, I would agree with that. And I also agree that a comparison against something like uh, Odyssey or pick whatever open world game of your choice from a AAA studio, that comparison does not bode well for Biomutant. However, this has been my Phoenix game, uh, my Phoenix Rising. Let me explain. For a lot of people, when Phoenix came out, that was like their escape game. They would go to it to relax, to chill, and they could jump back in. Even if it's been a while since they had played, it's quite easy to jump back in. This is like that for me. It's very easy to jump in, loot a little bit, do some fighting, some cute, uh, charming characters and all that stuff. For me, it has worked very well. And I think part of it, too, is like the expectations. Where were your expectations at? Did you expect an amazing story with plot twists and carefully crafted dialogue and characters? I think if you did, you were highly misled or, you know, just kind of silly, to be honest. You know, in a studio with 25 people, clearly they had to focus their attention on just a few things. And I think... In their defense, they nailed those parts, which is the, the setting, the, again, charming characters, and uh, cool weapons, interesting crafting system, cool classes that mesh well with the stats, and a cool character creator. So there is a lot there that, in my opinion, they got right, and they did well beyond my expectations, actually, for a studio of that size. However... The whole package, as Carrick says, is brought down by all of these other shortcomings, right? All of the conquest missions are largely the same, following dialogue that is really copy-paste for all of them. So there are a lot of shortcomings. The combat is floaty, right? When you do the melee stuff, it's very difficult to, to get correct or responsive parrying and all that so if you're expecting like a tight gameplay compare comparative to other big titles it's not here right i think that has been the biggest problem that people have brought these uh, impossible expectations and just because a game has a 60 dollar tag on it you have to understand that it won't be off won't be able to offer the same that other games in the range will offer just because of the size of the studio so i do think this is largely to blame on the the studio i don't know if it's the devs or the publishers who set the price point i think they've done their, themselves a disservice by competing in this price point which is really cutthroat right it's a cutthroat market where if you're not 
delivering all these things that we kind of take for granted from the big studios, you're going to fall short in many people's eyes. And people have taken this opportunity to really just take the biggest dump on the game. I think that that was a big mistake, like I say. And if instead they, they were shooting for the, let's say, $40 market to begin with, people would have been way more lenient on the game. However, with all that said, in my opinion, if you can find this for something like 30 pounds, it is well worth your time. It has been for me. I've enjoyed thoroughly the lush environments and the, the fun, casual combat in it. It really is quite on the easy side. So you don't have to min-max at all. You don't have to worry about it. You can play anything you want and just have fun with it. Create a character just for the role-playing aspect of it. You know, hey, do you want to be a, a dual-wielding gunslinger? You can do that, right? You can go all into the like uh, rifle route for heavy crit damage. It, there's a lot there that you can do. And you do have the two paths as well of going sort of uh, goody two shoes or evil and with a different outcome overall in the story i would say it's enough there to warrant a price point of around 30 bucks if it's uh something that you're in the market for it won't magically please all the people who were expecting an assassin's creed level production but i think there's enough there to please a lot of people who just want a casual and fun experience. I want to throw in a couple of smaller topics together here. So uh, I've watched Castlevania seasons one and two. I'm catching up, right? I'm trying to get to the new fourth season that's come out. And I wanted to discuss it because it has a very interesting format. Castlevania. So the show has something like four or five episodes per season. And you might look at that and say, hold on, <laughs> hold on. In a world where you have animes that go on for hundreds of episodes, you have one piece that, you know, it's in the hundreds, I think, maybe even close to a thousand of lost track, right? And you have these long running shows where the investment required to get into it is massive. Then you have something like Castlevania, which, to be clear, isn't considered an anime because it's not made in Japan. And I've been reprimanded for calling it an anime. So it's an animated series. Very different. But the investment of time here is very short. So they're asking very little of you as a viewer. And in my opinion, they're giving a lot. It really feels like... In a short span of time, they're able to kind of have the characters and the, the scenario sink in. So quite quickly, you're aware of what's going on and you start to kind of like the characters. I, I won't say I give a fuck about any of the characters, really, but it, it does get to the point where you like them quite early on. I would say like by the end of episode one, I was already like, OK, I want to see what's happening, right? I want to see where this goes. And it's interesting enough that you, you always want to keep going on to the next episode. So it has that binge-worthy quality to it that it's hard to put your finger on to say exactly what it is. But I would say this is highly worth checking out. It's also one of the few animated shows not made in Japan that I've watched recently. And you can notice some significant differences between the anime style of a show compared to this. 
it, it this feels way more straight to the point and just straight to the action as well so maybe more of a westernized take on this kind of show which i enjoyed i want to hear from you and i also want to hear from you if you think it gets better or worse towards season four i think it starts very strongly with season one season two was a little bit less interesting personally although it does have some awesome action moments so i have high hopes for the ending of the show and very curious to see if they leave it at season four or if it's going to be an ongoing thing and they will keep producing more and more and i want to throw in here another quick topic which is the unreal 5 demo if you haven't seen it you can google it or ser search it on youtube and just be awed <laughs> by the graphical fidelity of that presentation i don't know i was so mind blown looking at that it almost reminded me of the recent season of death Ro robots love death love death robots some permutation of those words is the new show or the new season of the netflix show and some of those episodes have this almost live action quality to them where you barely can tell that it's cg and it, it seems looking at this very similar it makes me wonder i need to look this up i don't know if they if they used something like unreal 5 or what they used for for the creation of those but that's kind of a, a tangent besides the point if you look at that demo it's so crazy to see that with unreal 5 you can drag and drop these massive assets like rock formations and things and just mesh it into your scenery in a way that actually looks natural so it blew my mind that not only can you drag and drop this kind of asset into your scene but it meshes with the existing layout of the territory that you have in a way that seems continuous you can't really see where you know the new asset starts and the and the t existing terrain ends it's this incredible I don't know how they do it thing. So looking at it was a, a very uh, inspiring thing to, to imagine some kind of small dev studio being able to use that to create something awesome with very little ramp up or extra work. There's this notion of removing friction in a way that technical aspects no longer get in the way of your creativity. And this is something I pulled from my musical background where you know when you get to a level where the technique you have is enough to not struggle then your creativity can start blooming right you, you can let your creative mind go and drive the endeavor versus having it be a more mechanically focused or mechanically driven effort on your part so this kind of reminds me of that right because if a dev studio can use these tools to remove some of the friction or extra work to get stuff done they can be more on the creative side and just let their imagination kind of flourish and flow so my intuition is that a new and better engine like this that allows stuff to be created quickly and easily and have this level of fidelity will have a, a big impact for smaller studios that can't devote let's say massive amounts of resources into doing things from scratch if they can take some of these high quality assets and create something dope with very little effort you know you're setting yourself up 
for some really cool indie concepts that could come out. So I'm looking forward to that. And for the final segment today, I want to talk about Subnautica. We finished the game on stream and I want to give my in-depth thoughts here. So I will mention specific things of the game that will be spoilers. So if you haven't played, I would recommend go out and play it. It's definitely worth it. I'll, that will be the TLDR. And from here, I will assume you have played it or you don't mind specific things being mentioned because I want to go in depth and, and mention specific things that disappointed me a little bit. Some other things that did very well and we'll go in a lot of detail. So hopefully that will also add some color to your perception and I can also hear from you guys what you thought about it. And the first thing I want to talk about is adding this new layer to the gameplay, which is the surface level, right? So in the first game, we weren't really able to explore the surface much. There were a couple of islands we could go to, but th there was very little, right? So just some derelict bases we could check out. And admittedly, there was an alien base as well, technically on the surface, or part of it was on the surface. But not a lot of the gameplay took place there. And in Below Zero, there are many more landmasses to explore with all the ice and all that. That's the big theme of the game, right? And they do a good job of that. They kind of lean heavily into it, right? They say, hey, here's a new layer to the gameplay and we're going to explore it a lot. So there are several labs you can find and locations and kind of interesting things. Lots to explore. They have a new vehicle called the... Snow Fox, this is like a small motorbike you can use, or hover bike you can use to traverse the surface more efficiently. And there is a new Leviathan that only appears on ice, which is a big worm-like creature that will eat you, basically, right? Unless you take steps towards avoiding it. One of the things you can do is just use the prawn suit to traverse the ice, which to me was just a safer and easier option. There are also some modules, I think there was a specific module you could craft to basically shoo away the worms. But it, it was cool, right? So they clearly put some thought into it, and it's now an element of the gameplay that integrates with all the other ecosystem of things you could do. So that in itself was a great idea. I just thought that exploring the ice wasn't really enjoyable because the the new vehicle we talked about the motorbike the snow fox is very hard to drive at least for me playing with mouse and keyboard it felt very unnatural very unwieldy to do so i basically never used it and just used my prawn suit to explore which is a vehicle from the first game so right there I'm already preferring a vehicle from the first game, which will, will be a big theme in this kind of review that I'm doing here. The other system that's been added is the temperature. So your body temperature is now another thing you need to take into account. And while on the surface, it will continually go down. There are several things that will bring back your temperature. One of them being coffee. So big plus for adding coffee to the game in my book. But that's kind of where it ends. It's not a, a deeply rich or interesting mechanic at all, the body temperature. It just adds one more survival thing to keep track of, which for many of us, you know, the survival stuff isn't really the, 
the the crux of the game or the stuff that makes it interesting right food drink and temperature are just kind of small annoyances you have to keep your eye on that really don't get in the way of the gameplay but also don't elevate it in any significant way in my opinion let's talk a little bit about the fauna because this annoyed me a little bit all of the you know big animals or creatures from the first game are no longer here and i have to say it feels like <laughs> they just wanted you know like oh fresh enemies right and i can understand it because the game takes place in a different biome on the planet so you could say hey you know those animals don't inhabit this part of the planet but in reality as we know ecosystems are always a mix and match and if you go to a different ecosystem it's not that you don't see those animals anymore it, typically you just see you know variants of them or you see them in less or more prevalence but the idea that you know just because we're in a slightly different part of the planet and we have a completely different ecosystem it, it just feels very weird right it feels very strange and we still have the small fish you know the the peeper and all those but when it comes to to the bigger specimens they're all gone it's almost like they needed to go out of their way to make a statement like hey this is a different game right this is a new game it's not just an add-on or an expansion and i get that but i feel like it would have added to it to have some of those in here so it feels like it's the same planet a little bit more so now let's talk about the new specimens the new leviathans the new fish added do they feel as exciting as the first game felt with their specimens and i have to say not really right so in here we really have only three i would say leviathan class enemies or big enough to <laughs> to rock your boat let's say uh, the first one is the worm that i mentioned only appears on the surface that i would say is a win I've, i thought it was cool a cool addition it plays to the new surface gameplay cool that gets a pass Next up, there's like a shrimp-looking <laughs> dude that uh, loves to grab you nearby one of the bases where you you have this kind of radio tower, which is a, a, a main part in the story. So you run into this guy a lot, and he's able to grab your, your truck. Like in the first game, the, you know, Safety Sammy Leviathan used to grab your boat. So a similar Leviathan to that. So I would say not very original in concept, but it's there. That's fine. I don't have a big issue with it. And next up, we have a new Leviathan that's bigger and uh, seems more dangerous. It's deeper down in the Crystal Caves area or in the Red Crystals area. And that one seems way more menacing. I would say that's like the big win when it comes to new additions to the game it looks dope looks creepy i like it it's kind of like a centipede but underwater it's very creepy when it grabs you you know they i think they nailed it with that one but that's where it ends right we don't have any other leviathans the exception would be if you go to the dead zone you do have other leviathans technically although they are just variants of the existing leviathans that, that are just more deadly and more powerful and they attack you more aggressively so i would have liked to see a bit more it does feel a little bit stale despite the addition of some uh let's just call them harmless or maybe herbivore creatures 
that so you know have big whales and that kind of thing you have a couple of those that add a little bit more to this mixture so i appreciated that but it never felt quite enough to feel as diverse as the first game did it's hard for me to say whether that's because the first game was the first and everything caught me by surprise and as a new thing and here i know much more what to expect so maybe it's me coming into this with the first game in mind i don't know if i'm totally being fair to the devs here but overall it felt a bit more stale of an ecosystem as a whole and now let's talk a little bit about the vehicles because this is also one area of disappointment for me you know the first game with the cyclops when you figure out you can have this massive sub where you can dock your prawn suit or your other sub into it. You can build stuff like storage lockers in it. You can really make it your own in a lot of ways. And the magnitude of it is so imposing, so satisfying that it was gonna be hard to beat. <laughs> and I was ready for this. I was fully expecting to be slightly disappointed with the offering in vehicles in Below Zero. And it happened right so the direction they went towards i thought was positive so my intuition was don't try to just beat what you had in the first game try to go in a different direction right try something new and they did right so they have this idea of modularity with the sea truck so you have the tip of the sea truck and then you have these wagons that you can craft and you can customize right what do you want on your sea truck do you want a fully mobile base where you can sleep craft store and store fish so you have this aquarium module you can have the whole shebang and have this cool mobile base the problem is that never ever makes sense it's never practical to do that you end up having this unwieldy sausage of a truck and in reality you only need like the storage you know maybe the the fabricator module that's about it right um also the module where you can place the prawn suit on the truck is very useful but it doesn't really make sense and there aren't a lot of combinations that are useful so you end up having this normal sea truck that everybody has so i thought they failed a little bit with that i thought the modules could have been a bit more creative and add more functionality and make themselves a bit more interesting and as i said earlier the the snow fox the motorbike is very unwieldy i found it really not usable in most scenarios with mouse and keyboard so kind of a disappointment there too and that's where it ends right there are no other vehicles here aside from the prawn which was a vehicle from the first game you can't have any of the vehicles from the first game which again is a, a disappointment right if you told me hey you can have everything from the first game i'd be like okay so now we got some new shit on top of that that's great but we lost the cyclops we lost the seamoth which i loved as well it feels a bit of a step back when it comes to the vehicle offering for me personally and then the last piece is the story right how does the story feel well in many ways it's a step up because you have actual people you interact with um all of it feels more direct and more interesting so it's not just audio logs or vague telepathic discourse it is in fact conversations you're, you're having with other people or well with the 
alien entity Alan, which has some kind of personality. And I found that part enjoyable. However, the story itself seems largely meaningless as in the end you're leaving you know, Margaret, the NPC you deal with, and you're just going off planet to this alien city. And not only that, but when you get there, nothing happens, right? So you get to this alien city, you're set up for excitement and you're like, whoa, we're finally getting to see the alien city inactive. So actively run with aliens and all that. And you don't see it. <laughs> the game ends. The game just ends there. It was highly disappointing. It felt like a movie that works up to this big climax and it ends before it gets there. So a bit anticlimactic of an ending. The story as a whole didn't quite make sense to me personally. And I had a lot of times where I felt lacking guidance. They would say something like, go a thousand meters in this direction and you will find this. Well, guess what? I didn't find it, right? I felt really dumb a lot of times in this game where maybe I missed a blueprint that was somewhere and I was meant to find it, but it wasn't in view enough. I didn't find it or a location of a base. And just in general, not as many means of discovering the right path to progress in the story. A lot of times we didn't have any new beacons and we had no idea where to go. We just had to roam aimlessly until we found something interesting. I'm personally not a fan of that. And some of it could have to do with me not picking up on slight clues, like environmental clues of like, oh, you can keep going in this direction and find something. So some of it can be blamed on me as a, as a player and how I played the game. But I feel like some more guidance would have been very, very welcome. And that's something that hurt the experience quite a bit for me personally. With that said, those were all my quibbles. And I know I focused on that mostly. As a whole, it is highly worth a play. Priced at $30 on Steam, it is worth your time. There's no way around it. It has a lot of great things. It feels great to just traverse the water, just like the first one did. And it just builds on the first game in many, many ways. So if you liked the first game, this is a buy for sure. If you never played the first game, I would say play that first and then see, because in, in my opinion, the first game is just overall a better one. And this one is more of the same with some cool add-ons. It doesn't quite deliver on all aspects compared to the first one, but still very enjoyable and worth a play. The base building continues to be very fun and enjoyable. There are some new things you can build as well, and you can add to the initial experience that we had with the first game. So overall, guys, I would say this passes the, the thumbs up check, but it isn't as good as it could have been. I'm really excited to see what they do next, though, as a studio. Is it Subnautica 3? Is it a different kind of game, a multiplayer game? I would love to see that from them. But let me know as well from your side, how did you feel about it? Did it disappoint you? Did it uh, exceed your expectations? I'm very curious to see where people's radar is with this one. And that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, remember, you can easily and greatly help the show by either sharing with your friends or leaving a review on iTunes, which is surprisingly the best way to get the word out about the show. Or drop me a message and reach out because that also means a lot. And with that, I'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gamer Life. I hope you enjoyed it. 
If you did, remember to share with your friends and come back every Monday at 9 a.m. UK time for a new episode. You can find all that I do, including streaming, license-free music, and much more at my website, johnnyplays.live. That's J-O-N-N-Y plays.live. And as always, catch you next time.